0: Welcome to episode nine of Community as a Verb, a show that talks about the tools for social action. Here, we talk about social media, systems, processes, and strategies, and what we're doing to create the world we wanna see. My name is Connor Kaysen, your co-host here at Community as a Verb. And next to me via the powers of the internet is my distinguished co-host, Mr. Well-Traveled. Mr. Well-Traveled, Merry, belated Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year's, all those good things. How are you doing? What's been going on with you?
1: Hey, Connor. i um, doing well, doing well. Um, no, no complaints. Uh, i excited to have finally arrived to the end of 2020 and looking forward to 2021. I mean, gosh, it's been quite a year. And, you know, we're going to talk about that. But I, you know, as I look back on it, I, I, a lot has happened. And I have to say, um, just having gotten through this year with my health, uh, my continued employment, um, and really seeing everyone around me continue to, to really do well throughout a really challenging year. I, yeah, I feel like there's a lot to, to, to feel good about and to look forward to going into 2021.
0: How about you? Yeah, I agree. I feel the same way. I think there are uh, offline we talked about this a little bit like the the year it, a big scope it got a lot of negative headlines uh but trying to like focus it on like yeah but there's some good things that happened on an individual basis um yeah. and and so since we saw you 2 weeks ago and what's been going on in in your life the last 2 weeks
1: oh good question um let me think you know i wouldn't say there has been like a lot that's happened uh, you know on nothing too exciting. Um, we had a really interesting, uh, I was trying to think of what, how, how to put it. So I don't know if I mentioned, um, with the next Up app, uh, we applied to Apple's entrepreneur camp for, uh, black founders and developers. And I had a phone call about that within the last couple of weeks. It was not a, uh, uh, an acceptance, <laughs> so I just want to be clear. But it was a good phone call, just sort of you know talking about the application and and what we're trying to accomplish. So I'm hoping to hear about that uh, in 2021. That there's a yes, you guys get to participate in this camp. Um, that would be awesome. Um, I was really, I, f- I feel like, you know, we we're going to continue to build upon that. Uh, that that was a great foundation. And I think going into 2021, uh, you know, there's a midterm election in 2022. So 2021 is the year to really take next up city guide voter to a different level. And I'm, I'm, I think that's been on my mind a lot. Uh, also working on, um, you know, other other projects, uh, this podcast and also spending time trying to learn more and, um, really prepare to take on the year in a different way than this year. This year, I think I came into 2020 with a lot of plans, but the pandemic was not one of them. Now, pandemic is a part of my thinking, and so I've, I've been spending a lot of time just, you know, working on what, what am I looking to accomplish in 2021.
0: Hmm. Yeah, thinking about the pandemic kind of in your planning is very interesting that's like oh this was something that was now part of all of our lives and now uh at least the ones of us that are working from home are lucky enough to to have that position i guess everyone though is all right the pandemic's not going anywhere right coronavirus is, is part of our daily lives and so how do we plan that in our new year's resolutions and uh our goals for the upcoming year is very interesting uh, yeah. Every time, every time we do the show, I'm like thinking back to the two weeks, and time has gone by so fast. Like I think back to March and April, and everything seemed to like slow down at that time because uh, there was so much unknown. But now that routines have been established more, especially with like the holidays that have now come and gone, it's interesting how quickly I'm like two weeks, like it just like snapped by for me. Uh, yeah. And the fact that we are here, it's Saturday, December 26th now is just just wild to think about, right? Think about what New Year's is gonna be like, how it was different from last year. Uh, Christmas yesterday was just so different for my wife and I from previous years. Uh, just being home. I didn't even go outside for Christmas. Uh, I just mm-hmm. stayed inside and watched Netflix all day. And uh, just I mean we started the show this year as well, right? And this show is something that, Uh, I know you and I are both very proud of. So, so many different changes and things. And right now is a great time just to be reflecting on all those things that have happened. And so that's kind of our goal of this show today, right? We're going to go through uh, kind of, we've kind of designed it like quarter by quarter of the year to reflect on some of the big uh, topics that we have looked into that you and I have discussed uh, immensely over the year. And just discuss how things change, and then we'll end the episode, kind of talking about a transition into 2021 and what some of the themes are that we see coming up for next year, which will probably be uh, cornerstone topics over the 25 episodes that we end up doing in 2021.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good setup for where we need to go. So uh, let's let's take us let's jump a time machine for a second and let's go back to January 2020. All right. How did you spend your n- New Year's? Do you remember? I can't even I can't even remember what I, what New Year's Day was like. I don't I have no I, no memory of it.
0: <laughs> I so yeah, I remember New Year's last year because we had this crazy um, windstorm that happened here in Seattle, and okay. I live right across the street from the Space Needle. So the Space Needle for the last couple of years has like always been what New Year's Eve was all about for me. And they canceled the fireworks show last year because the wind was so high. So I remember it was right. really being really um, uneventful because the space needle still did like a light laser show with music, but it was very uneventful compared to uh, not when you don't have the fireworks. And I remember there was this weird moment and Amanda reminded me um, I had just bought my, a drone uh, maybe during that, like black Friday time. And I wanted to fly my drone above my apartment to film the fireworks of the Space Needle, and it was super windy. And at like 11:50, when I'm flying, the, when I'm trying to fly the drone, I crashed the drone because it was so windy. And oh. so it's like 11:55 p.m. I crashed my drone like into my apartment building, and it fell to the ground outside. And oh. um, I I ran out of my apartment to go catch the drone, and I actually missed the New Year's countdown because I was going and retrieving my drone. And so I'm like oh. running through my apartment complex and I can hear my apartment going, 10, nine, eight. <laughs> and so Amanda likes to joke that uh, in 2019, I ran out on her and 2020, I came back in. Uh, because I like missed that like brief moment and uh and then for it's funny I didn't even make the connection but she was making fun of me for it uh yesterday and was just like look what you did to 2020 Connor like you had to ruin New Year's Eve and then which not ruin it it wasn't that big of a deal but like you, you that happened and then the rest of the year like fell all apart and so uh, it's funny to think back on but I will I will remember that day very vividly because it was just stupid stupid idea for me to think I'm gonna fly my drone and it'll sit there we'll do the countdown and uh, I'll get this firework show and it it did not turn out that way what about you what was your New Year's Eve like
1: I don't remember it at all like, I have no no memory of it I I have I remember the year the calendar changed i remember that much i don't remember <laughs> what i did or what happened i was thinking though the thing that i do remember i was looking um, actually at some of my videos from around this time last year and i realized do you remember that the drone the funny thing that you bring up the drone on new on christmas eve christmas last eve. year we flew the drone and i was so afraid to try to like fly it because we flew it over like well, like washington right Yep, and and I was so afraid because there were there were eagles out there, I remember, and I'd never flown a drone before. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to crash the drone. It's not my drone. And then now I hear the story that you crashed your drone. I, I feel a little better. I'm like, well, I didn't crash it. It wasn't me. So um, yeah, the I, I was looking at those videos like, wow, yeah, that was a year ago. It feels like forever. And I think that's the thing, right? The, you know, coming back to that first quarter, I. So much happened and the things that stand out on my mind are the things that are related to the pandemic, interestingly enough. So for me, I actually came to um, I was in Seattle. So I started the year in Seattle and then I came to Texas. And that was when I had my first uh, meeting. I went to Austin and had my first meeting with uh, DeMarcus and we we were talking about Next Up, and that was when we had a different use case for Next Up, and we were we had our meeting there and I remember that a lot because that was early on in January and I remember the pandemic being in the background but it was no one was calling it a pandemic at that point I think it was just there was this virus that was kind of out there in the world it hadn't I don't think at that Point. We were talking about it as having arrived in Seattle, but it was very shortly after that, there was somewhere around there where um, the first case was announced in Everett and Everett, Washington is in the same county where I work. So it was kind of, um, I think at that point, it was kind of like, wow, it's it's here, it's close by.
0: That's very close. But,
1: but life was... Going on, like no one did anything different, right? We weren't wearing masks, we were still going out places. And so I was thinking a lot about, you know, that was January for me. Um, it was, I did a great uh, one of the fun things I got to do was a great uh, family photo shoot it, since um, we didn't get to do a Christmas photo shoot in December. Uh, because I was in Seattle in December. And so then uh, we did it in January. It was so much fun. The same photographer I worked with for the Next Up Photos, uh, we, we, we did photos with at my grandmother's house. And so, you know, January, that's, that's, that's the memory that stands out in my mind. But then February was really cool uh, because I got to go to Vancouver twice. And I love Vancouver what else happened? Oh, I did, uh, I did have a chance to come hang out in Texas. And by that point, the pandemic had really like become prominent in the news. And on my way back to Seattle, the first death happened that same day. So this was maybe February, we had a leap year this year. So maybe this was February 28th or 29th, something like that. And I knew at that point that things were going to change. I, But I just didn't understand how much and how quickly, but I knew that that was very significant. Um, the interesting thing that was happening in Houston though, that same week was that there was a water, um, a water line that burst and flooded a freeway and the city, the whole time I was here had no water. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. And so you would see like Starbucks, and they were open. I remember I went to Starbucks twice and and they had no water, so they couldn't make coffee. And people would just walk in and walk out and walk in and walk out because they didn't know that they couldn't serve any drinks. And it was was a wild thing. And that was actually more prominent than the pandemic. But I remember at that same time, that same week, um, cities in Europe were shutting down. And I remember talking about that with my family because I thought, oh yeah, that's happening over there. That was what was in my mind. I was like, that's happening over there. Over here, that's not a thing. We're we're living life, and you know, it, it's it's interesting because I flew on a plane. I took the Amtrak to Vancouver at, at, at one point in the in one in February and. To think that those are not things I did again after that, and wouldn't I can't even imagine when I'm going to do them again. That you know, January, February, the year started off. I had all these big travel plans. Um, one of them being your wedding in March, and I all you know, I try to go to Brazil at least once a year, and so I was in March planning the the rest of the year, thinking about all the trips I was going to take. I wanted to go to Canada um, again. And well, we know the border is still closed. So yeah, I mean, you know, January, February, and then March, the beginning of March. I'll stop at the beginning of March because after that, that's when things really changed. But, you know, coming back um, to work after the first death, um, things were still pretty normal on Monday. By the time we got to Thursday, though, that week, that first week, this is the first week of March, it was really clear that things were changing around us because people stopped showing up to work. Like, there were fewer, and every day, there were fewer and fewer cars in the parking lot. And I used to go to the grocery store, like, regularly, and I remember... I was at the grocery store like maybe that was the Monday um, after the first death and I walk over I was looking for like uh, the paper products and I see this guy like clearing off the shelf of toilet paper and he's just looking at me and I'm looking at him because I'm trying to understand like what is happening here what is what is he doing why is this happening and I he that gets like a ton I mean I don't know maybe like 10 uh, rolls of toilet paper it was it was a lot and he walks off and I started thinking to myself well maybe I should get some <laughs> so I got some extra toilet paper but I I remember at that point there was that was a thing right like the toilet paper flying off the shelves and I remember joking about it with people at work I had no idea how bad it would get
0: Uh, yeah I, and I wasn't here for that like early moment Let, let's stop there before like the shutdown happened and then we'll go into yeah. after the shutdown so yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was very much on top of the coronavirus very early on because we had this wedding planned in Bangkok uh, in the middle of March so when it started to become at least major news in Asia in early January it was very much on our radar and the whole time planning the wedding was like, well, we're still going, we're still planning to go, but it was always the fear of we are going into coronavirus. There really Mm. wasn't this like big, like, Oh, the virus was already here. And this is actually like a much bigger thing. Uh, And I remember it was on February 29th on leap year was the opening match for the Sounders game or for the Sounders season this year. And so uh, I had, my friends kidnapped me that weekend for my bachelor party and we went to the Sounders game on the 29th. And thinking back to that day, I was like, man, I sat in the stadium on February 29th with 50,000 people um, cheering and high-fiving and hugging and like not even a care in the world uh, about, you know, what was going to happen. I know on that weekend, we kind of joked about it. Like, oh, like if one of us has it, like we're all going to have it kind of thing, but still not like it it was still a joke right it wasn't like taking it all that seriously and then uh we left on march 1st to go to thailand and yeah everything kind of changed from that day that we got in thailand and when we flew to asia it was very very it, it, it wasn't a shock we knew what to expect like we bought n95 masks in uh it was I believe the same weekend as Valentine's Day. We were up in the Tequila area because we were out playing bingo at the, the bingo hall. That's one of our old uh, uh, hobbies. And we, so we're up in Tequila and we knew that N95, like short people were starting to like think about buying those. And we happened to go to Home Depot and we found them. Um, and at that time we were like, oh, we got to buy these masks. So when we go to Asia, we know that masks are required and we need to wear it to protect ourselves right? It was like, we need these filtered masks to protect ourselves. And uh, I remember flying to Taiwan and right when we got to Taiwan, it was like, all right, mask up, right? It was the first time like we were putting on the mask and, and wearing it and the whole time, pretty much uh, from that moment on, mask was a part of life, except for like a very brief moment when we came back to Seattle at the end of March, when we got to the airport, like nobody was wearing a mask. Uh, there was no expectation. None of the security guards had masks. Uh, it was a very big switch when we got back, uh, in that time, but, but I want to transition back to you. Uh, so first couple of months you're kind of living, let's just call it stress-free from the COVID anxiety that we've all developed. Stress-free. <laughs> so, stress-free. so what was it like during the shutdown? What was March like for you to think back about like all restaurants were closing down, work from home was mandatory, like everything shut down.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, so the week following the first death, so th- by Thursday evening, uh, my team at work, we we all made the decision that we were gonna work from home on Friday. Friday evening, we all get an email saying, don't come back, You're, we're gonna be working from home for well actually we didn't say don't come back it just said don't come in on monday <laughs> that was sorry so we we understood at that point it was don't come back uh because we had already decided to work from home but um that monday we were told we would be working from home for 2 weeks and so i thought great um and i i actually enjoyed it uh, it took so much getting used to but you know I was working up at the same time but then I didn't have a commute so I'd go and get a coffee I'd come back and I realized that I could do other things during that time that before I started work and I was um glued to the news like constantly. That's all that I cared about from the time I woke up to the time I went to sleep. I was constantly just on seattletimes.com, CNN, um, you name it. I I was just trying to get as much information as I could because at that point, things were changing so quickly and you needed to stay on top of what was going on because you wouldn't know um like is there going to be a curfew or when are they going to shut something down and everything was just happening so quickly so you would stay on top of the news i mean i did i'd stay on top of the news but then i would also talk to everybody else that i knew to find out did you hear this did you hear that did you you know where what's happening in your neighborhood so all of those kinds of things and when i would talk to family and friends in texas they weren't having that experience at all because at that point Texas didn't have very many cases so their experience was still like my January February experience and I'm in the like we are in the middle of you know the at the I think at that point they're calling it the epicenter um so it was it was like
0: we're the epicenter that was crazy
1: yeah it was a totally different world right so we had the first case first death and case count was just through the roof because there was an outbreak at um one of the senior centers. Do you yeah. remember that? Yeah, yeah. So there was a lot happening at that point. So those first two weeks, I have to say, I I still didn't think that it was as big of a deal at that point because I thought, well, we'll just be working from home until the end of the month. We'll go back to work in April. Everything will be good. But that's not what what happened. Um, I will say with work, it was really nice because I got to work from home and our technology was smooth. Like we had no like tech issues the whole time. So I didn't feel like, I felt like that was really stable and there was just nothing like I had to worry about I just opened open my laptop and continue things as usual. Um, I got to take walks during the day which was not something that I did before. I got to enjoy Capitol Hill in a way that I hadn't before. Um, you know, going to local coffee shops. Like, I, I didn't know what Capitol Hill looked like during the daytime. Like, there was so much construction. There's so many people out. I thought that people would be mainly, like, indoors, uh, but there were a lot of people out. And, of course, masks still weren't a thing yet. And um, I was still going into inside of Starbucks, and you could still sit down at that point. And I remember when starbucks sent its workers home i remember talking to one of the baristas and she said you know i wish that i could work from home and i thought about that and for the first time it, it kind of clicked in my mind that oh right those of us there's some of us who get to work from home and then there are others who are not ever going to have that opportunity because their jobs have are not designed that way. And so while I'm having this great work from home experience, here's someone who's feeling anxious to coming back to the, you know, you know COVID anxiety. Here's someone who's feeling very anxious about this situation. And there's nothing, she doesn't have that, you know, ability to work from home like I do. So I'm not feeling super anxious about it in, in, in the same way she is. Yeah. So, you know, that's when we started hearing about essential workers, right? And I think from then on, I started to become a lot more aware of like, what does it mean to be a work from home? I call it work from Homer, (laughs) work from Homer versus an essential worker, because so much of my experiences after that, the people that I was interacting with, they were essential workers. The the people who delivered food to me, the people who delivered uh, packages to me, like the people who were working in the places that I went through, drive through, like that was, those were my, you know, human interactions. And it became pretty clear to me that there was a big difference in what their experience was versus my experience. And so I thought a lot about that. I was still holding out hope. I have to say that I was going to get to travel because in this same month, you had your wedding and I was so excited. I had, I had some trouble like with the plane ticket and all of that because my first flight was canceled by the airline, my second one, then I canceled because at, as it got closer to time uh, to go, and this was towards the end of March, I felt like I was gonna have a lot of trouble getting to Thailand and then getting back um, because I was flying uh, Delta and Korean Air. And the route was from Seattle to, uh seoul, seoul. And, and I at think this it, time,
0: seoul was like the new hot spot yeah it was that italy and seoul were like uh the two places that everyone was very concerned about
1: that was the thing right and it, because things kept changing so quickly the restrictions that were put in place there front flying from the u.s to there then flying from seoul to bangkok it made it uh, for me, I just didn't think it was going to work out well. And I thought I was going to get trapped in a quarantine situation because there were restrictions on flights coming into Bangkok from Seoul. So if I had flown another route, like say through Hong Kong, I didn't see the same restrictions at that point in time. So I I canceled the flight, but that was probably one of the easier, well, I should say that wasn't actually one of the easier things. That was actually pretty tough because I couldn't get Delta on the phone. I actually had to drive to the airport and get them to cancel the flight. That's wow, what I did. I did not know Yeah. That. Yeah. I could not get them on the phone. And for the first flight, I booked it through one of those online travel brokers, which I'll never do again, because I actually didn't get my money back until August So for, for a flight that I, that was canceled, not, I didn't cancel it. They canceled it. The airline canceled it in February. I didn't get a refund until August. So, and I had to keep calling and keep calling to get it.
0: That time was so crazy with flights because we had 120 RSVP traveling RSVPs to come to Bangkok. Uh, And so I think it was like that March 12th date was when, uh, I'm not sure who actually declared it, but it was declared a global pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. And that's when like everything shifted. I remember uh, it was nighttime here and in Bangkok, it was the morning, like we had just woken up and that seemed like every day we would wake up and America had had their whole day and we would wake up and we just have like a flood of messages of like, here's the new things that are going on in America um, or messages from people. And it was like, right when it was named pandemic, it was like everything switched. Right. And that's one of the people were like, "Uh, I probably shouldn't be going to Asia right now. I shouldn't be traveling at all. Uh, And uh, the fear was, yeah, the quarantine. Right. There were so many different changes of information like every day it was like oh you gotta spend a two-week quarantine oh we're not even gonna let you on the plane uh Mm -hmm. right and like every country had its own messaging that was come out and its own restrictions and obviously the airlines had no clue what they were doing i mean the thinking back with all the people we've talked to right how many people had flights booked for that and how many people had to get refunds and then you multiply that by the global travel i mean just us managing our flights when we were in thailand was uh, such a mess. And, and just just crazy to think about that we were there. It was very weird, especially with my job being so hyper-local focused and so restaurant focused. To be in Asia for the month of March was very weird. I actually, when I got home, felt very disconnected from what happened. And it's actually like been an ongoing struggle for me to feel uh, the connection that the business are going through because I just like wasn't there. Right. Like it was very weird for those three weeks to not be here when everything was getting shut down and all the rules were changing. Um, And I remember watching like on Instagram stories, people like going out to restaurants or being like, hey, the restaurants are shutting down tomorrow. Like, let's all go hang out and get a beer at the bar. Um, And and just feeling like, oh, I'm not. This was like my moment to help support the community. And I'm like, not even there. I'm like out like eating noodles uh, on the street right now. Uh, it, it was very, just just a weird time in general to be consuming all that information and be somewhere else and be in a country that was very close proximity to Asia or Asia to Wuhan, right? Where the, the center was. And uh, Thailand at that point had already kind of dealt with their initial outbreak and had seized it. And they didn't have any no positive cases in like the month leading up to when we got there. So we felt like, yeah, I think they've got it taken care of. And when we were there, I, I felt safer in the three weeks I was in Thailand than pretty much I felt in America for the last nine months. Uh, It was very interesting because right when we got there, uh, that was when I learned we were on a subway or train and the train was packed mask wearing was a hundred percent. And Uh, there was a video that played on the train and it was a graphic that clearly was not made uh, during the pandemic. Like this had been a normal thing. And it was like, please main, like always wear your mask, the mask. And they had a graphic of an old woman and a child, right? And it was like, the mask is to protect this old woman sitting next to you. Um, right and that's for like not just coronavirus but like for your cold or for a fever or anything you've got going on uh, that you could pass on to that person like mask wearing has been adopted in Asia and been for years a normal thing and so that's when we saw it where it was like oh we we had this phrase while we were there was in Asia everyone wears a mask and if you're not wearing a mask people look at you weird and think that you're spreading the virus uh, or spreading your germs in America it was exact flipped right if you were wearing the mask people looked at you weird and thought that you were the one sick and spreading the virus and it was very interesting to look at that uh dichotomy of both and that's when it was like oh like this mask thing is different than what we expect right like i said earlier we wore the mask thinking we were protecting ourselves and very quickly it was like oh no it's to protect other people and just our ignorance though of that trip when we were there like on my wedding right like we didn't all have masks on at my wedding um And the wedding was two parts of morning and an evening. And there were people that were working there, like at the hotel and everything, and they had masks on the whole time. And I just think back, like, man, it was such a weird thing for all of us Americans to be there and not have masks on and be like having this ceremony um, and seeing like where the world went from there. Um, but just consuming it all from a different perspective. And that whole time, every time we went out, like we established the mask and the hand sanitizer, wash your face, hang up your mask. We established those routines there. But just when I went out there, Asia has this different level of respect for people in general. I mean, specifically for elders, right? The hierarchy is very different there, but just in general, like, uh, the, the, what we call freedom in America a lot of times I feel like is about, I, I do what I want. Um, And I I very much disagree with that's what freedom is. uh, Right. Freedom is more about pursuing the things that you want, not just not following the rules or not obeying orders. Uh, But in Asia, like that's very strict. Right. And the guidelines are followed. So anytime we went anywhere, um, I just felt comfortable because I knew everyone else in that space respected each other um and that's why i don't feel that way like when you go to the grocery store you go out it's it's really every person for themselves where in asia you could you could feel that there was an aspect of community here right and we're kind of all in this together um it was very interesting to get back and kind of see the reality of how different we're handling this whole thing compared Mm -hmm. to how they're handling it in asia
1: yeah i mean i bet that i bet that was um i think Well, one thing I will say is I'm glad you were able to have the wedding that you planned because so many people that that's the story right that after March people weren't able to have the wedding that they planned and then there, there was this thing. I I even saw a headline actually yesterday about why you should have a zoom wedding. (laughs) And so like zoom weddings became a thing right but but I'm really glad you got to have the wedding that you planned and. I remember sitting on Instagram and looking at your stories and thinking, "Oh my gosh, I was supposed to be there." But then, at the very end, like your very last story of you know coming back, you know that empty airport. I was like, "Wow, that was unreal!" Like to see like an air. I'd never seen an airport that was shutting down before. And so to see that you were like the only people in the airport, uh, trying to get out of the country, it looked like one of those like end of the world movies. It was, it, it, it felt was like crazy. that.
0: Really? It felt like that. I mean, yeah, I'm so, so grateful. Uh, Amanda and I, we did a podcast called the last, the last wedding in the world. Um, just like document what the experience was like for us. Cause we knew something like that hopefully was never going to happen again. And, we felt fine. The, you know, 18 days that we were there it was fine. And then it like once Taiwan and Singapore said they were shutting down their airports, it like, it became scary, right? It was like, oh no, like now we're really risking getting stuck here. And yeah, we were on the last flight um, out of Taiwan. Our flight was at 11.45 PM. So 23.45 PM. And at uh, 23.59, they were shutting down the international transfer terminal. So you had to be in the terminal by uh 2359 to be able to catch any other flight out. And Just crazy. Uh, yeah. I mean, we had a three and a half hour warning to get on to that flight to get to get out of Bangkok. So uh that that was wild. At that point, everyone had left because the emergency had already been declared. Um, so this wasn't until the following Tuesday. Our wedding was on Thursday. Um, And, and yeah, being in that airport was really scary walking through when we got on the airplane from Bangkok to uh, Taiwan, it was like so difficult for us to buy that flight three hours before. And when we got on the plane, there was nobody on the plane, right? Like there was probably a couple dozen people at all on the plane and was like how was it so difficult for them to sell us a ticket when all of these seats are open uh but obviously there was so many things going on about maybe why they couldn't have bought it and uh yeah thinking back to those times it's one of those things like like i have zero blame for anyone who didn't make it to thailand because it was a crazy crazy thing to do right to to fly especially a lot of people were flying after they had deemed it a pandemic and to deal with all that stress. And uh, I'm so lucky that nobody contracted the virus when we were there, the wedding uh, went off with pretty much no hitches at all. And uh, it all worked out and feel very blessed that that happened. But <laughs> looking back on it now, it's like, man, that like, it was so close to not being that way. Uh, yeah. And being in that Taiwan airport with nobody in there was just uh, it was wild because that's one of the, like the biggest airports in the world as far as transfers go, and to just see it empty, you know, right? And they have those hallways that like go for a mile, and there's nobody there. It was a uh, quite the thing to experience.
1: Yeah, I, I bet. Um, well, I'm glad you made it back safely. Me too.
0: Me too.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I couldn't. Um, Uh, You know, some of the stories that were coming out around that time about people who didn't make it back, just getting stuck. And, you know, they were sending like these emergent, different countries then had to charter like emergency flights to go pick up their citizens. I mean, it's, it's hard to think about it now, but back then it felt like the world was coming to an end. Like it felt like everything was just falling apart and it was like everything you've ever seen in any Hollywood apocalypse movie. And um, yeah, that, that was that was something to see. And so I'm glad that that wasn't your experience because there were lots of people who, I mean, just all over the world, um, you, you see the, you saw these stories and um, it was interesting, I think, um, because on the flip side, right, at least in Washington state, Washington state was shutting down. And so people who hadn't gone anywhere uh, were saying, were being told, you cannot go anywhere. You need to stay home. And so then there was the whole stay home, stay safe thing started. And, you know, businesses that were open one day now were closed the next day. And then the only thing that seemed to make any sense anymore was that you could go shopping at the grocery store. And so I was still at that Point going to the grocery store. And I wasn't wearing a mask because that there was no mask mandate at that point.
0: Yeah, at that point Um, they were saying to not wear a mask. Yes, they were. Whether that was to uh maintain the supply, right? So you weren't taking away from essential workers or from uh medical workers. Yeah, at that point, the CDC was actively saying like you shouldn't wear a mask.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it was not effective to wear the cloth mask so they were saying that the n95 they didn't want people to buy up those for the health because they didn't want to make sure the healthcare workers had them but regular people who were not essential workers shouldn't wear any mask because the you know there was a, a point at which people were saying okay well i could just wear these other types of masks a bandana i could wear uh, one of the cloth masks i can wear whatever the whatever masks that were not n95 and they were saying no those aren't effective you don't need to wear the mask so this was, this is important because this is actually, for me, that, that was always the the problem that I had when uh, literally a month later, they said, oh, actually you should wear a mask. They, these same masks that we told you were not effective, they are now effective. So now we're in April and, and we have a mask mandate and we should all wear a mask everywhere we go. And the same masks that weren't effective last month are now effective. How did that happen? And I think that that was The beginning of the mask war (laughs) because the mass culture mass culture war because and and maybe you you can't do that
0: And maybe oh yeah like our whole uh that was like the first time of the year where it was like the uh line was drawn with trust right like what do we believe what's real what's not real what's the information uh and that's going to play out for the next nine months i mean obviously forever about like the information we're receiving whether through the government officials or through the news like what are we supposed to believe and what can we believe and as we know with the other topics we're going to talk about like it's it's a theme that has been consistent
1: Yeah, I mean, that I think that's a, that's a really good, that's a really good point. Because in, in that month of March, I was glued to Governor Inslee's Governor Jay Inslee's um, uh, Coronavirus updates. I mean, I would stop whatever time they came on, if it was the lunchtime update, or if it was the 5pm update, I'd stop whatever I was doing I would make And I, if, it, if I had left the house, I would come back and make sure I was there to watch what he had to say. And if I got caught in the car and make sure I had it on NPR, because they would play it live like this, it was such an important thing to know what the governor had to say. I had never, I don't think I've ever cared as much about what any governor had to say, but I needed to know. And by the end of, I don't know, probably like April, I was like, I'm not listening to anything else this guy has to say because what ended up happening over time was that the messages started to conflict, right? So it wasn't just the message that change from March to April from the say from the CDC or from the federal government but also local messages started to change and people started to question like why are we locked down this way we see other states so one thing that happened after the March lockdown other states started locking down so California was first and then every there was it was like a domino effect after that we saw all of these other states shutting down just you know day hours or days apart and but by the end of April we saw reopening happening in Georgia, Florida, Texas. And, April. and so you're, oh my you're wondering like, well, wait a minute. Why did they only have a four week lockdown or even less? I mean, it may have been three weeks for certain states. So why did they have such a short lockdown? But we're still in this phase one, because of course now we've they've rolled out phases for reopening by this point. So we have phases for reopening. And we're still in phase one, we're still locked down completely, but these other states are open completely. Bars, restaurants, everything's back open. How does, how does that work? Um, so I think that's when the government officials started to lose their grip on the, or the cooperation of the public. It was now you see different states taking different and you and the messages so people don't know what what am I supposed to do where I live versus what I'm hearing on national news about where someone else lives and and there was a point in time when New York became the focus and we would hear from Governor Cuomo every single day I mean, actually, that's still going on. <laughs> He's still like on the news, uh, but we we don't live in New York, right? So why why are we so focused on what's happening there? And so that's for me was when I shifted to local news. I started paying way more attention to independent local media at that point because I needed sources that I could really understand and and feel like I could trust. And I think that actually has continued because as, as the year went on, other things were happening locally and I could see very clearly there was a difference between the national media's version of the truth and the local, independent local media's version of the truth.
0: Let's let's transition into that. Unless you got last things to say about kind of coronavirus and the early shutdowns. But uh, I feel like that's a good transition to go into the, the summer season.
1: No. Uh, yeah, I think the only thing that I will say to sort of set up sort of the way where the rest of the year goes, other thing themes started to emerge during this time, right? So there was housing insecurity became a big deal. Food insecurity became a huge deal. And we, we're still talking about that even now, the fact that food bank lines have not receded. We still have very, very long food bank lines. Um, and work from home became the norm for a large portion of workers, particularly in Seattle, a a tech city where it was, it's an, let's not even call it a tech city, a knowledge worker city, right? So work from home became the norm. And and so there became these new sort of, this new lifestyle that kind of sprung up around being a work from homer. Um, And then the city started talking about it was going to have a budget crisis. Um, the state started talking about that too, and we started hearing about that all over the country. Really, uh, that there were going to be budget problems due to the pandemic, and you know, April May went along, and then at the end of May, we have a holiday, right? That was at the end of May. Uh, what what holiday yeah, is that? Memorial Labor, Day,
0: Labor Day, Memor- or Memorial Day?
1: Memorial Day. Memorial Day, there was a concern. So during spring break, we saw a lot of coronavirus cases. And then Memorial Day, there were a lot of folks who were enjoying Memorial Day like they always do. And that was also the same weekend as George Floyd's murder. So we saw the spike. In coronavirus cases after that related to all of the activities people had and then that kicked off the season of uh, demonstrations and that was another thing that was one of those things where I just didn't see that coming but now having listened to a lot of particularly podcasts and reading a lot of articles the circumstances sort of would one could have predicted
0: that that was going to happen yeah it was perfect yeah and so Oh, man just think just reflecting on that weekend that George Floyd was murdered um I remember I was in Portland for that weekend and I drove down to Portland that Thursday and on Friday here in Seattle we had our first protest and it wasn't like like it was well attended but it wasn't uh, it, it certainly wasn't national news and I remember driving home on Saturday and that was the first. Uh, big protest uh mm-hmm. and that was the one where uh thousands of people met in downtown this is the first time where uh there was major property damage there were cop cars that were lit on fire there were big like contingent um um what's it called just uh not what was that clashes clashes yeah between police and protesters right there was the mm-hmm. the the really popular scene of the child who got uh maced or had the i guess it was pepper spray at the time uh while at the protest and it went i remember driving home and amanda was giving me live updates of like what was happening it was like one car one cop car got lit on fire two cop cars got lit on fire and like you could feel it from just consuming it on the internet uh on like on twitter oh this is getting more serious and then i remember we were like uh just driving through the Tacoma area and it was like the protesters have now shut down the freeway and it was like oh what like this it, you know with, with being in the car not really knowing what was happening just like reading tweets uh it was like all right we can't take the freeway we got to take 99 so like get off on the airport and go and just I remember getting home like just being really confused about everything that was going on because I I had been traveling I hadn't really like been reading the news the last couple of days I, I wasn't aware all that much of like what had happened in Minnesota um at least to the detail that we know now right I knew that um at that point I knew someone had been killed by a police officer and that there were major protests and I remember the big thing remembering is like the major target got lit on fire in Minnesota um and then I remember just sitting on the news and pretty much for the next month I that's when I became like uh it went from like you were talking about like being glued to consuming information about coronavirus to being glued to information about the demonstrations and the protests that were going on. Uh, mostly, I was very consumed with what was going on locally, but also nationally. And uh, it, it was a crazy time. And I know that's kind of when you and I started having conversations uh, more about a lot of the topics. I mean, that, that was the beginning of our conversations about this show. Um, and just what to do. And that's what led to the Black Square conversation. But I just remember that Saturday sitting on my couch and watching all the news broadcasts of that protest happening that day um, and and being concerned, right, about what was going to happen, right? Like, was the city going to go turn into a riot? Was it going to turn into, uh, you know, more of a, a war versus a demonstration and protest? Um, and and yeah, that that's really the only day that, if you want to say it was a riot, that's fine. That was the only day that could be deemed a riot in my eyes. The rest were just protests and demonstrations. Uh, but that day was uh, particularly um, just just crazy to watch and crazy to experience. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, yeah, that, that was something. So, okay, so Friday, that Friday, um, the protest was not planned that Friday it was I, I it, the protest for Saturday was planned that that yeah. demonstration that that got really out of control downtown that was planned. in fact, if I recall correctly there were supposed to be three planned for that day downtown was one of them Capitol Hill was one and I don't remember where the third one was supposed to be or if it was just at a different time but also downtown but I remember the one on Friday, came out of nowhere. They weren't expecting that one. And there was a little bit of property damage. So there's a, and, and so the, the demonstration started, I think in downtown made its way up to Capitol Hill. And there was some damage at the, I think it's a Ferrari dealership that's in Capitol Hill. Yep. And there was some damage at Amazon Go. Amazon Go oh, was, yeah. was a frequent, frequent Park. target. Yeah. Um And I remember when that happened thinking to myself oh that's that's interesting um those particular locations but I didn't think much more beyond that about it but I just I remember that that was sort of now I think looking back it's sort of like that's sort of like the uh what's the foreshadowing of what was to come because that became an ongoing thing not not the Ferrari dealership, but the actual uh, Amazon Go store continued to be uh, targeted throughout um, the protests. And I think for me, the protests, they started to shift away from just being about George Floyd, just being about police brutality to really, in my view, being about class issues, because so many of the demonstrators were not out there talking just about police brutality, they were talking about gentrification, they were talking about wealth inequality, they were talking about, you know, these giant corporations that dominate the city. And when you saw the places that were, um, you know, vandalized or had windows broken out, they tended to be Amazon, Starbucks, Whole Foods, the the places that are owned and run by the dominant corporations in the city. So I think... I think there was a story that the media did not pick up on there that there's an undercurrent of inequality happening that was happening before the pandemic, certainly exacerbated by, you know, pandemic shutdown. And now you have people who are stuck at home and coming out to demonstrate not only because, you know, they feel passionate about an issue, but also because that was the thing to do. And let me tell you, there were people, you probably saw it on Instagram, there were people who were hanging out at the, the, the demonstrations. They weren't there because they, they wanted to do anything other than see people because at that point, we were under full lockdown. And, you know, where can you go? There's no nightclub, there's no bar, there's, there's no restaurant open. So you go to the protest. And there were people who I watched on Instagram. They'd go to the Tacoba protest, they'd go to the Renton protest, and then they'd by by 9 p.m. They were in Capitol Hill, and there were there was like it was like I don't know. I think the mayor of Seattle called it the Summer of Love because people were partying in the street, they were playing music, and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> this looks like this looks like Coachella in the middle of Seattle, uh, and it and I think that's that was the other thing that was happening that I, I realized that these pandemic circumstances, they led to a lot of people coming out into the street, but not for the same reasons. And I think that, you know, as we move further into the year, you know, there there was polling that came out later on that talked about how sort of there was a, a drop off in the level of posting about black lives matter and sort of the engagement around the issues which i'm not surprised about but you know at the end of the at the end of the day you, when you when you see those kinds of numbers you see that many people come into the streets the story that was being told was these people are here because they are upset they want to see change and being in the neighborhood seeing local independent media versus the national media and seeing Instagram in particular, like looking at just all of the people I follow and then looking at the hashtags and looking at the location tags, I could see there are two different worlds that are, or sorry, I shouldn't say worlds, two different stories being told here. And the one that I think is more true, since we're we're talking about truth here, I think it's more complicated. I don't think it's just about you know police brutality.
0: Yeah, I mean there was the, and, and maybe that became that was due to a, I don't want to say lack of organization. It all came together, but but uh, there wasn't like centralized leadership, and so a lot of different parties uh, had their own messages, right? And and it went from uh, one side being like abolish the police there's the defund the police, there were just Black Lives Matter, um, right? And then the normal inequality uh, situation all kind of mixed in there. And so it all did kind of all come up to a point with the uh, abandonment of the East Precinct there in Capitol Hill. And um, that was incredible to watch. That was the first thing that i've experienced in my lifetime where i wasn't watching the news i was only watching it through live streams right because that protest right there at the east precinct uh on twitch and you can also watch it on facebook and this is the beginning of converge media and uh some other groups but there was a couple on the window above the precinct filming down on the front line uh there was another person who was uh, across the building only filming the front line and then there was like 10 people who were actually in the crowd uh also live streaming it so you could like get on these channels and just like feel like you were there right it felt like i was there and I, i would sit there every night for hours and just there wasn't a lot going on right for a majority of the time there was nothing going on there was just chanting and protesting and then like a bottle would be thrown, a rock would be thrown, and then the police would engage, right? And that kind of like would break it up and then come back again. Uh, But that was uh, a wild thing to watch. But going back to the original point, there just wasn't like a centralized message, right? It was, there was very much different messages going on. And it was confusing about like, who's actually coming to the negotiation table with the chief of police and the mayor. Uh, It was very, uh, very hard to follow. Um, And I feel like it was, you've talked about the local news versus the national news. It, it was kind of like a big turning point in like, oh, what what sources are you looking at? Like, how are you consuming the information? How are you learning about what's going on? Uh, because it was hard to like, just in our one city to understand what was happening between the news corporations, the independent media, the people who are live streaming there, what the mayor was saying, right? The mayor said it was the summer of love. It's like, what? <laughs> like, I get that the chop chaz, uh kind of was, more like Coachella uh, than uh, with, with uh, obviously activism going on at the same time, but yeah, just very mixed messages, and it was weird to kind of uh, make adjustments about how I was consuming the information and trying to learn about, like, what I think the truth is uh, by starting to watch these, like, streamers versus, you know, going to King5 or Como or whoever it was.
1: Yeah, I actually, I'm glad you bring that up because I, you know, technology here in this space is was it doesn't get a lot of credit, but you know, I was doing the same thing, right? Um, I was constantly watching these live streams on YouTube, and not just uh, of what was happening in Seattle, but also what was happening in other cities, because at the same time, we got LA. Minneapolis, um, Louisville, like they're just everywhere. Like all of this is happening everywhere at the same time. And I, I would like you, I was just for hours, I would just sit there and just watch. Like after I would finished work for the day, that's all I would do until I went to sleep. I'd wake up in the morning, I'd start watching like what happened the night before that I missed after I was sleeping. I was sleeping, I don't know, maybe four hours a night because I was just, it was just captivating. And that went on for me for about a week. And then finally I had to stop because it was just too much and I they took a day and I said, I need a moment to just like, not watch anything and get my mind together because you, it, it sort of, it's one of those things where I, I think for me, I, I realized I was like, this should not be entertainment. this should not be how i'm spending how i'm spending my time instead of watching a movie or tv show i'm watching demonstrations i'm watching police uh clashing with protesters i'm watching buildings getting lit on fire like this this is there is there's a certain level of information i need from that but there's a certain point where it no longer becomes productive it becomes it
0: it just becomes um protest porn
1: yeah exactly and that's not that i don't think that that's what I need to take from this. And so I I remember thinking to myself, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Because I knew one, I didn't, at that time, we still didn't know a lot about the coronavirus. And so I, while I felt very passionate about the issues, I did not feel comfortable going out to a demonstration. Um, I felt like that would not be a, a good, place for me to be you know mask mandate was new at that point and people still you know we would see lots of images of people not wearing masks we know now that you know being outside actually is a better place to be and there's less risk of transmission when you're in outdoor space and wearing a mask but back then you know I remember I would take a walk somewhere and I would step across the other side of the street if I had to pass somebody because I didn't know, we, we didn't know. And people would do the same too. Like they, it was just the norm. Like you just, you didn't wanna be close to anyone. You were told you had to stay six feet and sidewalks don't give you six feet. So I remember walking in the street uh, a lot. And so I, as I mentioned at the very beginning of the pandemic, I was taking a lot of walks but when the demonstration started to happen in the same neighborhood I stay in, I stopped walking. And I never really started back up after that because I just didn't feel as comfortable going outside. There was just too much happening in the neighborhood, and I couldn't figure out where, like where the next demonstration was going to pop up. And sometimes it was on my street, sometimes it was a, a block or two away, sometimes it was several blocks away. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a really crazy time. And I just remember thinking to myself, what do I want to do in this moment? Who, who do I want to be? How do I want to how to, th- to think about this? Because all of this stuff is happening in the world, happening in, in this neighborhood. And I I kept thinking a lot about the fact that people are demonstrating because they want change and they want to be heard. And they're trying to get attention for issues that are being ignored by people who get to make decisions about whether those problems get solved or not. And around this same time at at my job, there, this, this sudden conversation sprung up due to George Floyd's murder around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that had never been something that we talked about before. And I, felt i think that day that i took time away from watching all the live streams to just think about what did i want to do now because i have a certain level of access to leaders and the organization i work for so i have something that many people are out in the street trying to get which is the attention of people who are leaders and i said well i can actually they know me by name i can email them if i want to and and while i occupy a very small slice of life right healthcare is is the industry i'm in i realized that's that was something i wanted to make sure i i took advantage of that i'm in this space where i can speak to gatekeepers and that was also the time when you and i started talking as you mentioned before about this podcast because i felt like what i didn't want to happen was that this moment just passes like, you know, this is not the first set of demonstrations we've seen related to police brutality. Um, You know, there was Ferguson just six years before and that was a big set of of global demonstrations. There was Trayvon Martin before that, right? Um, And that was a big set of global demonstrations. And every single time we had these big global demonstrations, nothing changed. And I think part of it had to do has to do with the fact that it's very difficult to be an activist, it's very difficult to be an ally, an advocate, and to sustain that um, that that work um, because it's very draining. You're you're constantly fighting a machine that is so big. And hard to understand. It's designed for you not to be able to make the changes that you think need to be made. So, when we started talking about this, this there was still you know shop and chaz, uh, the Capitol Hill organized protest, the Capitol Hill autonomous zone, um, the two names that the that the park had at that point in time, that was still a thing, that was still around. I remember us talking about, you know, helicopters and, you know, the, the things that were happening, the police sirens, cause that was a constant presence in the neighborhood centered around this one park, which if you had ever been there before that, right? It, it was a totally different world. Like it didn't, it was not like it was portrayed in the media. Um, so, I just remember thinking to myself at that point, um, it would be good to not be just a bystander in this moment or just an observer in this moment, but actually to step forward and be someone who is actively trying to make change inside of an ecosystem and outside and trying to support the people who are in the streets and the people who are in, in, in the offices of people who are working from home because everybody's action looks different, right? And we need everybody to to, to come in in their, in in their own way. We need everybody in the room to try to change things. And so I I realized for me, that's what my action needed to look like. It was leaning into DEI and in race conversations at work, even though that wasn't something I had been doing before because it just wasn't time and space dedicated to that. Um, it was leaning into that in a public way, right, like doing this podcast and shifting my, you know, app development project from one that was around barbershops as a use case to voting as a use case, because also in the middle of all of this happening, there were primaries, there were primaries happening all over the country. And we we're able to see the effects of both racism and the pandemic at play in real time, thanks to all of the technology that we have.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was such a... a for how crazy it was, I look fondly back at that time because our conversations with each other shifted a lot too. Like I remember meeting mm-hmm. you in that park uh, out, kind of in Capitol Hill, and being like worried about going to that park in that area. Be like, uh, let's let's meet when it's still light outside before, it get, like I want to be gone before it gets dark. Uh, we yeah. don't know if a protest is going to just like happen. I remember you texted me one day and you're like, there's a protest like outside my my house right now, right? And it was like, it just came from nowhere. Like how do I know like where this is going to happen? And so we met up and that was like the first time our conversation really shifted. You and I always just like really talk about business, right? And like concepts and ideas um, and systems and mechanisms, very similar. It's kind of like how we have built the structure of this show, but then it started to really shift more about like race and equity and inclusion. And we started having more of those like uh, really in-depth conversations with each other. Um, and I think we took a lot of the business perspective that we used to have and kind of implemented it in a interesting conversation which has led to this show and uh everything that we're doing here every other week and uh you brought up the election so unless you got another one last thought uh kind of about the summer it's probably a good time to transition to uh the fall going into the end of the year because i know we've been here for well over an hour now
1: oh wow well uh let's see so coming out of the summer so now we're april uh, May, June. Now moving into the third quarter, July, August, September. So we've, you know, demonstrations never really stopped. They, they continued. Um, and, you know, the big, the big phrase that came out of that was defund the police, right? We heard that a lot. And so um, we also saw the rise of um, or I wouldn't say the rise, we started to see a lot of focus on Seattle now in a different way. So first it was about the pandemic, but then it became, um, as the election got closer, it became about um, how Seattle represented the kind of America that uh, Trump in particular and Republicans didn't want to see. So they started to use CHOP and CHAZ and the events of the summer as a As a tool right like as a campaigning tool to say look you see see this is what happens when you let democrats run a city and seattle was labeled an anarchist city along with a couple of other cities but um yeah and and then then the election you know tactics the voter suppression tactics that were very very present in other places, and may have looked a little bit different. They suddenly started showing up in Portland and Seattle, and the mail with the mailboxes, right? Um, and the t- breaking down of mail sorting machines inside of the post office that would have counted ballots, and and it it just it became all election all the time. And the th- the thing that was so um, I think for me. Um, So interesting about this point was that that was the point at which I left Seattle and came back to Texas. And as I drove across the country, I could see like the 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 sort of like Seattle was this bubble that You wore a mask, but as soon as you got out of that place like masks were not a thing and it was, it was interesting to see how, the, how different the world looked outside of the bubble that I had been in for six months.
0: Yeah, the, the thing that caught my attention with what you're saying was the shift from the election now took like a lot of our attention with the news. And it's interesting how each season, uh, it, the way we've consumed the information is like uh, addiction if it's it's even how we talk about it seems like it was addiction right like started with the the pandemic and it was like addicting to watch all the announcements and the govern governor talking or if it was Fauci or then Trump whoever it was and then uh the protest over summer was like gotta watch that every day um and be on top of it and then yeah the election was like a mountain of more information going on right and and with the election fraud claims and the voter suppression claims uh and uh i know earlier it was like the primaries who was gonna actually win bernie was leading and then all of a sudden joe biden like the pandemic hit and joe biden like won out of nowhere um after like being irrelevant like there was a time in the primaries where joe biden was out right he got he like lost some states early on and he was done and then all of a sudden like it was like, oh, pandemic. Let's put Joe in there, um, and and yeah, just shifting into that like fall where our my addiction of consumption was all about this election. And we've talked a bunch about the election, so maybe we don't need to dive too deep into what yeah. was going on there. Uh, but. Um, just paying attention to like what was happening to those mail drop boxes right and and the concern with what was happening there then having record turnout of the actual election i mean election week was uh can compete with one of the wildest weeks of the year uh which ha- it has a lot to compete with when you think about the other seasons that we've talked about and uh and that's still ongoing, right? We like mm-hmm. the it seems like Donald Trump hasn't really done anything since that election week except play golf. But uh that's still ongoing. Like he it sounds like he's planning a demonstration on january 20th and january 4th so we'll see what happens with his uh attempt at a coup as i know we've talked about but and that was the other concern of the fall right i remember you brought that to my attention like hey like we need to be prepared for this because no matter what happens in the upcoming election like if if trump loses he's going to do everything he can to uh deval uh not disenfranchise disenfranchise is the thing but like invalidate the entire election, and I mean, you saw that coming uh, way ahead of time.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it it's so it, it's so it's so interesting. You know, now looking back on it, because while certainly it hasn't gotten as extreme as I think some um, some folks thought it could, it is getting. It, I mean, things are starting to hit. Up. Like as the closer we get to inauguration day, we're starting to see a lot of activity uh that looks you know like all these pardons right like so pardons the, we, the, we, yeah. the pardons were expected but then you know there's more and more coming out and there are things like particularly right now today right stimulus bill right so we have a second pandemic stimulus bill waiting for the president to sign and he refuses to sign it there's also a looming government shutdown on Monday. So all of these look like, to me, tantrums, right? You lost and now you're not happy, so you wanna make everyone, you, you, you're upset, so you wanna make all of us upset. So if I don't eat, nobody eats. That's what, it, that's, what, that's what it sounds like to me. And I don't like that, obviously, and I don't think anybody does, which is, you know, I think if, if there's a big lesson that I hope, I don't know if people will take this away or not, but that leadership matters, who gets to make decisions matters. Like you don't, you should not play around with leadership. We should take, and not just not just the presidency, but anyone who's in a leadership position, we should take it seriously. Just because you like someone, or just because someone is famous or rich or on TV all the time, does not mean that they can make decisions in a crisis. You have, I think we have to really start to evaluate what is our criteria for who gets to be a leader? What are the qualities that we need them to be able to have because, If if you look at this entire year, all I see on all levels, I see poor communication and this is so I'm saying I'm speaking independently of Trump here, Um, you know, poor communication, poor decision making, poor planning, like pandemics aren't new. We had the same type of pandemic 100 years ago. So it's not like we don't know what we are supposed to do what we have chosen to do is to not invest in preparedness. Okay, well, who gets to choose whether or not we invest in preparedness? The people that we elect, right? That's that's what they're there for. So if they're not doing their job, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, then we have to hold them accountable. We also have to set some standards and expectations for this is what we expect when we put you in this place. You're you, And you shouldn't, feel as if you are entitled to be there, despite the fact that the voters have now said, you know what, you didn't do what we expected you to do. It's time for you to go and for us to have someone else to be our representative. So these are the kinds of things that I think, um, you know, I'm taking away as we have now made it to December, and we're in the fourth quarter, and all of this year has built up to where we are right now. Um, The one, just going back a little bit, though, to third quarter you know when we talk about trust and we talk about media you know there was a war on the post office this year that <laughs> right right because because of mail in voting so many states were using mail in voting for the very first time they had never done it before and it was due to the pandemic And that was a big part of, and continues to be a big part of the argument about voter fraud. Well, there are all of these dead people voting by mail and that continues to this day. And I think it's really because the conversation just kept going on and on and on and on. I think for the post office, which already had a bad reputation, (laughs) I think there's a a lot of new distrust, right? And um, I don't know how how we necessarily get that back. I think we still have to rely on the post office, but when it comes to vote by mail, we saw uh, in, in Houston, once I was down here, we saw record turnout around the mail-in ballot drop boxes because people were Afraid to put their ballot in the mailbox, even though they received their prescription via mail, they received credit cards and debit cards via mail. Their voter registration card came in the mail, <laughs> so it's 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 not like the mail doesn't work. But in the media, that was the story because that is what uh, the Republicans said was a problem. And then, you know, as we've talked about here on the show, that was then used to reduce the number of Mail-in ballot drop box locations in the state of Texas. So it, be, it it just became this this thing that I think just got. I I don't even know how to, how to how to describe what what happened. I mean, I think it was the, the media amplified a message that was very damaging to um, a system that was actually working fine for people. Um, and I'm curious to see what happens in future elections, right? Because we have a, poor, a segment of the population. They've been exposed to a way of voting that I think they're going to like. Does it get to continue? Um, I think in some places it will not continue. I think Washington State had it before, will continue to have it. But I think other places that had it this time around, I think, will not have it in the future because of what happened this year.
0: Yeah, and that and that comes back to your point about leadership, right? I mean, and the leadership that gets elected right now is going to be very important. We still have another election coming up in Georgia, uh, the first week of January, that is going to have big implications. And uh, when when it comes to leadership, I mean, we we lost people this year, or they, they let's say they both stepped down, uh, but. Uh, everything leading up led to the resignation from chief Carmen best of the, she was the head of Seattle police department here. And then also we had our mayor, Jenny Durkin, re, not resign but say she's not going to run next year for the next election. So she served her one term and she is stepping down. And so now we have this kind of uh, I'm sure we're going to dive way more into it here in the show. Mm-hmm. Cause I assume the election's probably not until uh, later next year anyways. Uh, but you made a great point about, It's created this new spotlight on leadership. And hopefully a lot of people have realized uh, the importance of who you choose to put in those positions. And it's beyond just politics, right? It's who are in leadership positions as low down in your family hierarchy or your social friend circle, right? Like who are the voices that you're listening to and you're taking cues and leads from? Uh, Who are the leaders in management at your employer? Extremely important from top all the way to bottom. If you report to someone, uh, that's a power dynamic and an influence dynamic that is very important. And so we're all at least having a different, aspect of learning and, and recognizing uh, the differences in leadership and the importance of who we put in those places. Because every single month this year, uh, more than ever, we have these big defining moments that happen and we see a, um, a lack of leadership to, to put it straight forward. And uh, Mm -hmm. one one of the things I'm honestly grateful for this year uh, is that I haven't been in a major leadership position. I know you and I talked a little bit offline um, about that. And um, I empathize for people who are in those positions in this year, because, oh man, I, I, I'm very grateful that I didn't have employees this year. I think that would have been really, really difficult. Um, I empathize for anyone who has, if you're a manager and you've got employees that are reporting to you, dealing with the anxiety and the stress of uh, the job and everything that happened this year and dealing with that from a manager level all the way to a leader owner level uh, has got to be extremely difficult. It's a very challenging job. Uh, I, I, I'm I, not surprised that Jenny Durkin is, is re- not going to run again. It seems like a job that is going to be extremely difficult i think joe biden also has a a nearly impossible task ahead of him uh these these are jobs that you just can't make decisions to represent everybody it's so hard and nowadays everyone also has a voice which Mm -hmm. is is good and bad right you want everyone to have a voice but also um it sometimes drowns out the important voices because it's just a flood of things coming in and so uh to have that job to to take over that leadership is going to be very difficult i hope we give that person a chance i hope they're given an honest chance uh but even like being a council member like that's got to be so hard there were protesters who showed up at these people's houses and shown spotlights into their bedrooms right and they've got children and significant others who Um, are kind of outside of that scope. Obviously they signed up for that, but that's going to be so hard. Like I couldn't imagine if I had a hundred people last night show up at my house and chanting shining lights in my house uh, for me to make a decision. That's got to be so, so difficult. It is what they signed up for. It's also the reason why um, I don't think I'm strong enough to take one of those positions or run for one of those positions. I think I can have uh, more impact doing something else. Uh, But those changes in leadership, I mean, over this next year, there's gonna be a continued push about like who's taking those. And I think we are gonna get better, hopefully get better as a society and as individuals about uh, what are the criteria? What are the things we're looking for and how does this person meet those standards? Uh, so we can get some people in there. Um, the, these are the times where iconic leaders are made, right? There will be people who come out of this, who um, you know, get the statue conversation, right? Um and get memorialized in a way for their bravery, heroism, uh, leadership, and uh, it'll be interesting to see who those people are in the future.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Um, yeah, I mean, if we if we can look ahead to twenty twenty one, I think that's that's that is it exactly right. Like the conversation about leadership continues. So in Seattle, it's the mayoral race, right? They the, Seattle will have a new mayor. And there are lots of people whose names are out in the atmosphere. And I think that's that's good. But that would have happened anyway, right? Like there's always going to be an election. I think what we will see is that people are voting on values and issues. And I think that's really that's tricky to navigate to, to your point. You, there's 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 always going to be someone who's for and against and I think you know there was a, a recent article um on post first take hand, handicapping contenders for our Seattle's next mayor and it was a really interesting article article because essentially it it really laid out the different sort of lanes that different uh potential candidates would be in and it Um, argued for a coalition approach. So different lanes would need to come together to get a single candidate elected, and not necessarily by a large majority. So to your point, you could end up very well in a situation where someone is elected very, very popular with a very limited segment of the population, and that person could be supporting issues that a majority of people who are not in favor of, um, or they might be supporting some issues that a majority of people are in favor of, but others that uh, a majority of people are not in favor of. And I think it's because of how the coalition will end up coming yeah. together, right? So you might have, it was interesting, some of the some of the ways that they described the coalitions, right, they called the urbanist bike lane crowd, which I mean, I, I definitely believe that's a thing in Seattle. Um, but then you have the, you know, the Black Lives Matter, and then you have uh, the, corp- the corporate interest. And so you might have corporate interests and urbanists get together because oftentimes those people are also working in corporations and they're work from home. So I think work from home is a, is a lane. They didn't define it that way, but I think that's a lane. Like I think the work from home crowd, they work for major corporations generally.
0: Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an economic uh, lane. Um, yeah, sorry. Go Absolutely.
1: Ahead. No, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I think that's something to keep in mind. And then there's a central worker crowd, right? Like essential workers are are often not represented within the work from home crowd. So how who's representing their interests? And I what I have observed this year is that the city council has tried um, in ways that don't often um uh, meet the expectations or desires of the work from home crowd um, and the corporations, right? So I remember there was hazard pay that was mandatory for gig workers, and I was fully in support of it, but it it did drive up the price, right, of anything that you had delivered um, via Uber Eats or a Lyft ride, because those companies that provide those services actually have a, a model that is rather exploitative if you if you look at it right like those those workers are not employees and that's a legal status that also guarantees you health insurance but when you're an independent contractor that you don't you don't get those same benefits and in the middle of a pandemic suddenly the job that you do puts you at greater risk with no health insurance so those workers said I need a little bit more those companies said no the city council said yes you get more and so who has to pay for that work from homer and so there's this whole sort of economic cycle happening in the middle of all of this that i think is going to present itself again next year in more defined ways as there's an opportunity to fight for the future of the city i think people are what we saw this year was that people left the city, right? A lot of the work from Homer said I can move further north or further south or further west, sorry, further east. And I think that's going to have an impact on who gets to be a leader. I think the um, economic inequality and the just cost of living that hasn't, I mean, it hasn't really changed. Uh, It's actually in some ways it's gotten worse, right? So I think those those issues are going to matter, but they're going to matter to different people in different ways. And the solutions that people are going to look for, that they're going to look for leaders to articulate, are going to look different depending on what side of the, I would say, work spectrum or work coin, maybe I'll say work coin that you're on. Are you work from home? Are you essential? And what has what was your 2020 like? What happened to you in 2020? Did you lose your job? Did you get a promotion and a raise? Did you get, did you buy a new house? Because those, there are some people who had a spectacular year. Uh, They've made more money than they've ever made. They've gotten to buy a house. They've gotten to live a life that suddenly, you know, is accessible to them. And then there are other people, their lives fell completely apart, the opposite direction. Did you have to fight with the state for unemployment? Did, you know, I mean, that's, these are real life issues. And I think voters are going to be going and looking for the leader who can speak to them. And I think that's just going to bring out all kinds of candidates. And that's a good thing in one way, but it's going to require coalitions that may have in some ways competing interests, may in other ways have the same interests, but it won't be everybody's interest.
0: Yeah. I mean, when it comes to these elections, Unfortunately, it's never everybody's interest. And and the pandemic has shown, though, like you said, there's such a distinction between different people's lives, right? There's people that are having a lot of success right now. And there's people that are having the, uh, you know, biggest catastrophe of their whole life. There's tens of millions of people that are unemployed right now. It's very interesting. And, and um, the election will reflect that for sure. And I think you're right about the coalitions or groups are going to have to kind of come together so they can appeal to a broader group of people with all saying, hey, but your interests are also looked after. I think also in the in the uh, national election, it, w- it was very similar. It's just like uh, people's, and we talked a lot about the election and, and what people's priorities are, right? It comes down to what your experience was this year. And that's how you were, reflect on the world and that's what you find is important moving forward and how you think the election is going to uh benefit you in your own way and i think that's going to get dissected in a very interesting way coming up in 2021 here locally in how yeah. we see um people's priorities and the situation that they're in and how that affects the uh, the people that they want in leadership moving forward absolutely cool.
1: it, yes you know what? Oh, no, I was going to say, you know, you know, the issue that I think is going to be a dividing line is actually defund the police. I think that is going to be a dividing line. I think there's going to be a group of politicians that are in support of defunding the police, I think there's going to be another group that isn't, and I think that's where the coalitions are going to build around in in, in that way. So it's going to be defund right. the police and something else and something else, uh, not defund the police or police reform. Maybe is is what they talk about on the other side in some in some other lane and some other lane. Like I think that's going to be how we how we start to see these these races take shape. And it's it's strange and it's unfortunate because really what you're talking about when you're talking about defund the police is you're talking about the city budget, which is exactly the conversation you want to have, right? Is about what is going on with the city budget. And I think so few people until this year, until the phrase defund the police had no idea even what was in the city budget and how it works. And I think, you know, um, if some, if these leaders can, I don't know how much time and space there is to ever talk about city budgets. I mean. Who wants to get that deep into it it's, i'm sure it's not that as exciting of a topic it's much more exciting to to say what you're going to do for people but the reality is most people have no idea how these budgets are formed and what's in them and what you can and cannot cut or what will be yeah, easy what, to, what to what cut the
0: responsibilities of those budgets and the unions behind them yeah totally mm-hmm.
1: so i you know the, the vice the vice news um Piece that I sent to you, I really thought was really very helpful because uh, Lorena Gonzalez, who is the um, chief or president, maybe, of the Seattle City Council, she really gave a good breakdown of what the process was for them that they had to go through in, for 2020 to figure out where they could make cuts in the police budget and then what the work ahead for 2021 would look like and what the challenges would be. Because, you know, the Seattle City Council actually made a commitment to. A 50% cut and then couldn't achieve that in 2020 and she really explained in a very clear and easy to understand way why that didn't take place but I think it's important for people to know that because when they start to see leaders and talk about this issue I don't think they'll be able to get a, a really full picture of what is what does that process look like and what should one expect based on the obstacles that are in place. And, um, you know, this 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 vice news piece is called um, how defunding the police is working out in Seattle so it's really starting from summertime to now. But, you know, I think, as we look ahead to who gets to lead the city. I think we will actually hear more about that. We heard a lot about it, in fact, after the presidential election because some national uh, Democrat politicians, so like congressional and Senate uh, candidates, they actually said that that was the reason why they didn't win, that their constituents um, looked at them as being in favor of defunding the police because they were really good Republican sort of advertising around that in these uh, these really hotly contested races and so whether it was true or not it didn't matter that voters started to associate anyone who was a Democrat with defunding the police so that is that's the that's what they say um, I don't know if that's true or not but that's what they say and I, it, it, if that is true I think we're going to see it really play out in Seattle in a really major way um, and I don't know what I don't know what to think about that because I, I just I feel like the the city budget is a is should is, is what should be on the table, not the term defund the police. Like the city, what the city does with its funds, when it taxes citizens, and who it chooses to tax, right? Um, how it chooses to tax, and what it chooses to spend its money on, I think that matters, and that should matter to people. But I think so much of that gets so much of the detail of that gets lost with are you for defunding or not for defunding.
0: I think you're spot on with that, Mr. Well Traveled. Like it's all about, oh, we need to defund the police. But you and I talk about language so much and how we're phrasing that. And it's like we need to talk more about where all the budget money is going, right? Like and a lot of people can get behind the money that is if it's taken out of the police department where it's put into right and kind of like focusing more about like here's where all the money this is how you're getting taxed which you mentioned right here's all the money coming in and here's how we're divvying it up right and how are we prioritizing these different things what are the contracts right what are the corporate commitments the union commitments that we have with all these i think that Uh, is spot on with what you're saying about how we need to think about it and and kind of take a broader aspect than focusing on this one simple term. Because when when you talk about it, you're like, oh, there's the reform the police and the defund the police. It's like, everyone agrees there that something needs to change, right? Mm -hmm. That the system doesn't work, hasn't been working. It's a, a power and corruption problem that we have. And how do we come to a solution it sounds like everyone's kind of on the same page for the most part about there needs to be a solution but we kind of need to uh define it a little better and and we've let um catch take over the conversation and and uh kind of distract a little bit and you and i have talked about before how uh one party is very good at taking phrases and uh Turning those into headlines and making them kind of cornerstone topics, which get us uh stuck in a hole talking about this thing. And a lot of times it's the distraction from what's going on uh somewhere else, which is uh not not helping, not helping us. That's for sure.
1: Not helping us, not helping us.
0: And and so we're gonna dive in a lot more to a lot of those topics. I'm sure the mayoral race is gonna be a big topic, um, and just the elections coming up in general uh the the last thing we also have a a rollout of a vaccine for coronavirus which is like absolutely crazy um nine months after we declared a pandemic um we now have i believe two approved vaccines uh, that's right just here in america i'm I'm not even really up to date about what's going on in the rest of the world right because i assume all these um, I know Russia has their own vaccine. I assume mm-hmm. China's got at least one. Um, all you know, kind of all the major countries, I'd assume, are working on something, and yes. uh, that all is happening right now. That's kind of like the new flood of information that people are addicted to, and and there's been plenty of controversy around who's getting it, uh, when they're getting it. I saw a doctor who tested positive, Um, he got the vaccine, and then he tested positive like a week later. And so uh, that's becoming a thing. We've got allergic reactions, so there's a lot of skepticism understandable, in my opinion, to be skeptical. Nine months is really quickly for us to develop this vaccine. We kind of heard both like December, but also people are like, it's going to take two years to get the evidence. Uh, So yeah, there's a long way to go. I'm sure in 2021, we're going to document uh, how that progresses because eventually we assume next summer, there's going to be a broader array of people who qualify. I know I'm at the bottom of the list for um, qualifying to get one of these vaccines. So I know I'm not going to get that email uh, anytime soon, but eventually uh, we will, assuming that everything goes smoothly and uh, dealing with that situation. I'm sure you and I are going to have a deeper conversation about uh, making that decision and, and how it's affecting as it gets out to the broader public. Because uh, right yeah. now it's it's very specific to individuals. Uh, the, the one thing, and maybe we can talk about it in another episode, is just uh, watching uh, important politicians getting vaccines it's been very interesting to watch um videos it seems very it's been very intentional uh and and just reminds me of a movie about like we need to make sure these politicians are on camera getting the vaccine um you know to build trust and proof and everything and that's a very interesting dichotomy that is happening uh, that we're watching and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out um and, and have more discussions. I don't I don't know if you have any thoughts you want to share right now about the vaccine rollout. No,
1: not really. Um I, I guess the my question actually do you think it's effective the, watching the politicians get it? Um because I kind of wonder how effective that is for people as I, as I as I see it.
0: Well, if I put on my tinfoil hat, right, which, which especially when it comes to the Republican politicians who are getting the vaccine, right, when you see Mike Pence getting the vaccine, if you're a skeptic already and you've been denying coronavirus and, and everything that's been going on, the giant conspiracy that people think it is, it was like, why would you believe that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like mm-hmm. it's not hard to fake an injection, right? Like, it's, we've seen that in movies done forever, Right, or you can you know he could get a beginning a flu shot like is he like the skepticism is not hard to be like yeah I don't think he actually got the vaccine and so the like the skeptics I don't think it's actually like convinced I can't imagine that someone was sitting at home and they're like oh Mike Pence got the vaccine I I trust him I don't believe in any of the stuff any of the denial that's happened for nine months and now we can believe that like I just don't really believe that um, I also and this has been widely commented on, Like, it it seems really weird that we have had a group of politicians who have denied the severity of the pandemic from the very beginning uh, and put millions and millions of people at risk uh, and, in my opinion, are responsible for the death of thousands of people because of their uh, inaction or the way they've communicated the problem. Um, and lack of urgency to be some of the first people to be getting the vaccine just seems very backwards to me uh that it's like these people have denied the corona the pandemic for so long like why do they need the vaccine right um yeah it just kind of seems like it it doesn't make sense and That's what feels more like a PR stunt than anything like we've really seen this year is uh, getting those people on camera. Yeah. That, that's what, what makes me uncomfortable about the situation. And I know I said this off camera. Um, I think it's important that we follow along with these doctors and nurses and these people who are on the front lines who battle these people every day. Like I, I I can't imagine what it would be like to be a nurse this year. Um, My, Um, now sister in law, the my I performed the ceremony to marry my brother to his now wife, and uh, she's a frontline worker and she got the vaccine. And it's like, you know what, like she is getting the vaccine right because she needs it so she can go to work every day. So it's like, those are the people that I want to follow, and I'm hoping for the best. I'm a pretty optimistic person, so uh, we kind of need the vaccine to be effective right and we needed to work with all these doctors so they can continue doing the important work that they're doing so i'm optimistic that we're doing the right thing, but I think it's totally fine to be skeptical about big pharma and big corporations getting this vaccine out so quickly um, under immense political pressure. From our leaders, right, who have been saying it every single day for months that this needs to come out now, um, and that we need to do something and it needs to be out by, before the election was over or before the new president comes in. Um, that is understandable to have concern about that, be skeptical about where the right policies take place, what corners were cut, and uh, you know, I, I, I guess I'm in an advantage position that I do get the time to see how this is going to play out before I'm even in a position to make that decision right now. It's kind of just Mm -hmm. wait and see for me.
1: Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. Um, I, I do. I do think it's going to be interesting. I feel the same. I I'm waiting. I'm seeing, I want to, I want to know side effects. I want to see how this, the distribution plays out. I was thinking a little bit though, as well about what is this going to look like over the coming months? You know, we do have two vaccines approved, but we don't have enough vaccines for the demand, right? So, the term that I had forgotten about that has popped back up in the news is herd immunity. Um, so, you know, when when are we when it, I think we're going to hear about herd immunity in twenty twenty one until like almost like a countdown and until we get to herd immunity, and that's. Uh, you know, that according to Dr. Fauci, uh, that looks like uh, 75 to 80% of the US population um, has the vaccine. Well, that's a lot of people. So today we don't have that much vaccine available and you have to take it, uh, well, you have to get two two shots, right? So um, there's another sort of wrinkle there that it, this, type of vaccine requires uh, the individual to show up for the first shot, but also show up for a second shot. And they give everyone a card and let to let them know once they've had the vaccine when they need to come back for the second shot. I'd like to know what is the rate <laughs> for people who do not show up for the second shot, because we don't know what supposed to happen if they don't show up again. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out over larger and larger numbers of people. Um, yeah, so I think we're going to hear about herd immunity. That's going to be a thing um, going into 2021 and probably until we reach that point. I will say though, having a vaccine out this quickly, we've never seen that, right? Um, there, That leaves a lot of room for skepticism, and at the same time, I think there's still strong demand for it because we have also been told that this is the solution, that it's it's pandemic or vaccine. So all we need to do is just get a vaccine out there. All this goes away, goes back to normal. What happens when there's not enough supply to meet demand? What do people do? How do states start to distribute? Because they all they have these loose guidelines from the CDC, but they can choose not to follow them. And Texas is the first state that has broken from the CDC guidelines. So will we see more states do that? And how do they define who gets to be in which group? Um, you know, they're very they're very loose. So I don't know. I think I think a lot about This being very political too, Um, I I think we're we haven't seen it. I think we haven't seen it really get too political because of the holidays. I don't think people are that focused right now, and the the uh, the the group one is so small. It's very Um, it's and is very well defined. So we know that if you are working in a hospital, which is a very small portion of the population, you get the vaccine. Even, but also not all people in hospitals who work in hospitals get the vaccine. And there have been some issues of you know class within that. Um, I saw there were students at Stanford protesting because doctors who were working from home who had a higher rank got the vaccine before the the. Um, the residents who were actually seeing um COVID patients on a daily basis for hours a day like this is already taking place even within this first group so yeah i'm, I'm curious what happens when we get to the the broader population
0: yeah when it gets to the general public like th- there's not a lot of trust that that uh, our leadership can can distribute it in a quality way because yeah, the hospital people like that's really well-defined, like you said, right? We can get it there. They have their own internal dynamics. But when you start thinking about everybody else, um, yeah, it's it's going to be a long battle. And I think the inequality of society, which has been highlighted plenty this year, is going to uh, kind of be lit on fire because this is going to expose a lot of those systems that distribute unfairly. And I think I read with the Stanford situation that it might have been an algorithm that chose who got it and so it prioritized seniority and it was like this this wasn't a situation for algorithm this was a situation for like who's there who needs it let's get it to them um and so mm-hmm. it'll be interesting how we decide how the general public gets it right because we've got a million vaccinated uh at least for the first step as of now that's such a small drop in the water when you think about. 200 million people are going to need this uh it's it's going to be very interesting and and i am hoping that it goes smoothly but that's going to depend on what state you live in right what state you live in right now is also a big topic that i mean we could probably do a whole show on right we see a a lot of people moving out of tech. I mean, a lot of people moving out of all the big cities for lots of different reasons. Uh, but mm-hmm. moving to Texas, moving to Florida, moving to Washington are interesting things depending on how you want your life to go. But especially with like when it comes to income tax, those three states don't have it. And so that is uh, uh, just a big thing in general. You save 10% of your money to, to move to those places. So um, yeah,
1: I was reading an article about that yesterday. I mean, this is... <laughs> Yeah, there's so, so much is st- that will start, the reshaping of whatever the next decade looks like is starting this year. I, we, I don't even think we have really come to understand it yet. I, I mean, we certainly will by the time we're 10 years in, but yeah, the people leaving these, particularly these high tax uh, cities and states and coming to the South, Texas, uh, Florida, North Carolina, um, they're, Georgia, like the people are doing that in droves and whole companies. Now are relocating their headquarters, Hewlett Packard, Houston, um, Oracle going to Austin, Elon Musk, uh, becoming a resident of Texas. Like this is, this is going to change things, not just for the places that are, have that these companies and these very, very, very well have left behind, but also now coming to these new places because we're going to see that same cycle of you know, class play out in these new places. These new tech workers who were not here before, they're going to want a world that looks like the old world that they left. And we know that that means if you were there before, you got to go. You get pushed out. Um, and, and people get pushed out via taxes. People get pushed out via uh, raised costs. People get pushed out via policy because leaders get put into office who then create policies that favor the new residents because the new residents are gonna pay higher taxes. Like it's, it is a, it, it, it's going to reshape a lot of places. On the flip side, I was reading an article that said people will start to come back to those high tax cities because there's still going to be a base there of opportunity and talent and there are going to be people who got jobs during the pandemic with those companies but they just haven't left where they are and they're going to move there because they need to be closer to the main office so i think it's going to reshape a lot of things in ways that we, we just we cannot predict but i i definitely think we're going to see all of the dynamics we've seen over the last 10 years that have played out in seattle start playing out in atlanta i mean it's already happening right atlanta austin um raleigh durham um uh miami like these are all the cities that they're talking about in the news so yeah it's 2021 is i i i, I, I for the people who th- who thought at the beginning of the year that all we needed to do was get out of 2020 i, could, I don't think they're ready for 2021 i i, I would I would like to think it could be a 2020 redo, but I think it's going to be 2020 chapter two (laughs) instead. Not a redo.
0: I got an email, uh, like an end of the year email from a, uh, not a client, but like a contact of mine. And it was like, we made it, we did it. Like it was a long, hard year, but you made it through the end of the year. And we're grateful, like 2021 is going to be better. To me, it's like, it's just a day. Like it's, you know, we're going to go from, friday to saturday and uh yeah you might not no one's gonna forget that you're gonna write uh slash 2021 because you're like i never want to write 2020 again but uh yeah i think based especially based off this conversation there are a lot of things that are going to come to a ahead this year Um, and, and all the things that we experienced in 2020 that we recapped today, like there's repercussions of all of these things, right? Good and bad that we have yet to deal with, or even understand what's going to happen with those things. So I think that there's still a lot to come, uh, that it's, this is how human history works, right? And there's ups and there's downs and things happen. And, and this isn't the world's first pandemic. Hopefully it's the last one for at least our generation in a long time. Um, but. It's gonna it's gonna be a long one, but and I'm really excited to go through it with you, Mr. Well Traveled, and have this show and be able to come back and like document and and share some of our ideas and our opinions and our thoughts. Um, sometimes we're gonna be right, sometimes we're gonna be wrong, um, and, and address those things. And and I appreciate you joining the show with me here this year and starting this like we'll start as just like a crazy idea and. Every time we'd have a conversation, I was like, "We should have recorded that conversation. We think a lot of people could have gotten something out of it." And yeah. uh, here we are now, uh, episode nine of Community as a Verb, and uh, I'm really excited to continue the show with you.
1: Yeah, me too. I feel exactly the same way. I can't. I can't believe it. We we're nine episodes in. I, I remember when we were trying to just record the first two. What I think most people don't wouldn't know is that there were actually two sort of. Test episodes before we actually recorded the very first one at the end of August, and it had to do with the fact that I, I just didn't feel like those episodes were that great. And to the and to think where we are now, um, it's it's really amazing, and I, I really I'm very appreciative that you you wanted to be on this journey with me, and that we're going to continue um, into to twenty twenty one because I really do think there. I think what i have i've learned in this time is that there's there's room for additional voices right we've talked so much about the media and the influences that we have and i while i think we have a small audience now what i what i realize is that the people who have continued to follow us since august they've really um they have said to me that they've gotten value out of this uh whether online or in person um people who have heard it said wow you know this was a this is a good conversation. I learned something. It was an interesting perspective. I appreciate you, you, you sharing. Thanks for doing this. And so, you know, I think there's more opportunity to continue that. I think there's more opportunity to, you know, we've had some great guests on this show. Um, I've really enjoyed uh, talking with them. And I think we have the opportunity now to, to bring more voices to the table. And, you know, we're all a part of the same community. We're all a part of a, a community of people on the planet, we're all part of a community of people in this country, and what happens in one part of the world, or what happens in one part of this country, it affects everyone. And so we talk a lot about Seattle, but, you know, the reality is a lot of what's going on in Seattle is, is reflected in other places, right? In other ways, Seattle is also like a crystal ball that, you know, Ace talked about this, our guest last episode, he talked a little bit about the fact that Seattle kind of occupies this place between being years behind San Francisco, but years ahead of Austin. So if you're in Austin, where a lot of tech folks are moving from Seattle, from Los Angeles, from uh, San Francisco, from New York, right? They're moving to Austin take a look at Seattle look at what happened the last decade here and see you know that's what you're in store for but also being in Seattle, look at San Francisco and and, and, and look at what's happened there the last decade and say, okay, this is what Seattle's in store for so um, it's it's a really it's a really interesting time to be who we are and be where we are in the world. And I have appreciated the fact that you want to have these conversations with me specifically to record them and to to really share that with the world because I know for both of us that wasn't something we were doing before. And we've had lots of conversations about, you know, how is this going to go and what, what are we going to do in, you know, this circumstance or that circumstance. And you know, are you know are we going to talk about this topic or not talk about this topic? And I think for me you know it's been a really smooth process and i've appreciated your support and encouragement and you know always you know i, I was always kind of uh, shy about getting on camera and about you know really just opening up and i feel like you always always just said you know it's okay you got to do this and uh, i've just appreciated the support and encouragement because we you know it's i feel like i've gotten to a very different place now that I'm, I'm doing this and feeling and always like really very much like I do have something to say and I have a perspective I want to share. And I also want to highlight others and bring stories to the forefront that um, maybe are getting pushed to the wayside or not even discussed at all. And I have appreciated that we've been able to do that and put that down in video form, in audio form, for people after us, other generations, to be able to pick up and do whatever it is that they, they feel like they wanna do with it, whether it's inform themselves in the way that we've been informing ourselves um, with with podcasts, or if it's simply, you know, as a, as a form of entertainment. Um, I think what, what matters to me is that we've captured The time that we are living in, and that there are people who are both activists today who may gain something from this, but also people who are, who will be activists in the future. Maybe someone who's born today on December 26th will listen to us, you know, 20 years from now and, and feel like the same way we feel that they have the ability to go out there and make a difference and and take action in their own way.
0: I think that's a great place where to end the show. I think that's great. Uh, Thank you everyone for listening to episode nine of community is a verb. Please like, and subscribe whether you're watching on YouTube or Apple podcasts or Google or Spotify, you can find us on all those spots. If you haven't found us there yet, And, uh, please go follow Mr. Well traveled on Instagram. Uh, you can find me at find me in Seattle on Instagram as well. We appreciate you. We hope you have a wonderful celebration of the end of 2020. You can reflect on something positive that happened in your life. And, uh, we will be back in 2021 for episode 10 of community as a verb. See ya.